Welcome back to Joe's Media Corner for another episode. We're talking jobs in the newsroom with unions, particularly the News Guild, formerly the Newspaper Guild, and its president, Bernie Lunzer. He told us about how the Guild is expanding, revitalizing, and looking for new and interesting ways to help journalists. He also says the interest is growing from newsrooms where reporters are facing backlash with job cuts and even violence and threats from the anti-press forces the fake news claims led by our president and others who want to turn back the credibility of reporters with really no basis. Bernie talked about expanding into new and larger newsrooms and also many of the old favorites, but also legislation that might be coming out to help reporters protect them from threats and violence and maybe give employers incentives to offer jobs and more increased pay. So let's turn right now to our conversation with Bernie Lunzer. Bernie, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks. Thanks for talking to us. Of course, uh, we're talking to you about the News Guild, which is no longer the Newspaper Guild. It's now the News Guild. It's been that way for a while. And you are part of the CWA. What is the News Guild membership these days? Roughly 20,000. Um, that's actual members. Representation is closer to 25,000. And what does that mean, representation? Those who are not necessarily members, but you represent them? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. And how does that differ from maybe uh, 10 years ago? Obviously, there's fewer jobs now, but has the uh, union connection taken a hit or gotten better? uh, You know, it's about the same as that. What you could compare it to is, you know, a high of like 32,000 in 1985. You know, it it clearly, uh, as you well know, Joe, you've been covering this stuff for a long time. Uh, We've lost about half the journalists in the United States over the last uh, 20-some years. And how has that affected the Guild? Uh, are you, You've you been expanding into other areas and now digital and online. What What has the expansion been like? Right. Well, we organize on any platform um, and uh, have been organizing on every platform. Kind of platform agnostic, we think that uh, it's about journalism. And uh, so we've organized. Uh, we still have a lot of interest in print. That's going very well. In fact, it's, it's sort of at historic levels. And we, we do have some digital-only shops that we have uh, organized as well. What's a, uh, Tell us more about the historic levels for print. What's, what's boosting there? There's been this shift. Uh, you know, it's fear of the publishers, the fear of the, the ownership, but it's also taking your fate into your own hands. I think, uh, I think journalists understand that they have to be in the game and, and have a say about the future. And you said we talked earlier about that the uh, Tribune uh, publishing, which became Tronk and is now returning to become Tribune, you've had some inroads there at uh, the Chicago Tribune and then yeah. the Los Angeles Times, which is now under a different ownership. But what what have you done? Both of those, and they were they were huge. I mean, they were uh, both organizing successes. They were substantial uh, in in the margins of the votes. Um, the people in both places really. They, they were able to really organize themselves because they were so good and, and so excited about the ability to organize. And what are some of the other uh, bigger areas? You, I think you mentioned uh, the, the Guardian U.S. Right. The Guardian U.S. is a digital shop that is obviously connected to uh, what years ago was known as the Manchester Guardian, but has become international uh, and is uh, digital only and you know, the thing there is that, yeah, not the, not the biggest shop, but we were interested in all sizes of shops. Beyond that, they, they were able to, they took their time, but they were able to get an excellent contract there. And, you know, so it, it, it too was, a, I think, a huge success. 
And what more with the Tribune uh, publications? Those include, obviously, um, Baltimore Sun and Allentown. Those were the old Tribune papers. But Allentown's not owned by them anymore. Were you ever in Allentown or Baltimore? I know you had a big, strong Baltimore outlet as well years ago. Well, the Sun, we we still represent the Baltimore Sun, uh, although... The Sun uh, is about one fifth the size our unit, and and what's sad about that too, Joe, is that that's that's what we call an industrial unit that includes all of advertising, designers, um, sales, things like that. Um, you know, I, it, it's just it's amazing how cut back the Baltimore Sun is from what it was in its heyday, and uh, but we you know we we just organized Jacksonville, Florida which uh, is a Tribune paper, um, and we expect to look at others. Uh, Virginia, uh, that's a, a Tribune-owned uh, operation as well. And so we're really looking around. What are the uh, all the Florida papers that you've gotten into? I think you said Sarasota. Sarasota, Lakeland, Jacksonville, those are our current three, and we're looking at others. What, are the, what has been the inroads there? What's been sort of the way to, to get get the guild into those shops that hadn't had it before? Is it just appealing to the workforce or the workforce coming to you saying things are bad, we really need help? What's been the key? It's a mixture of both. I'll tell you, a lot of uh, organizing starts with conversation between journalists at parts of either a chain, just people that know each other. It's a, it's a small town journalism and, and truth. And people talk to each other. Uh, the uh, So we work clearly promoting our organizing and we'll continue to do that even more but in in many cases people come to us they come they go to our site newsguild.org and and, you know they can contact us there and they see some of the things we've been doing been very active both in bargaining and in organizing and then thirdly we call it movement building we don't call it political but it is a lot of this political action, not not candidacies. We talked earlier today about that. We are involved on, is, on issues, not on candidacies. Um, you know, I, I abstain from voting on the CWA board when the presidential issues come up. I stay away from, you know, voting on a uh, approval for who the president should be on behalf of our members that are covering that. And, and that's the way it should be. Right. But so we this, also are... The CWA itself endorses, but since the Guild is a division of that, you're on that board, but you you abstain from those presidential endorsement votes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people and, uh, know that, so that's good to know to differentiate what. Right. I think does. it's important to our members. Yeah. Now, how do you get involved politically if not in candidacies through issues and and what issues of late? Well, you know, we're we're, we're looking for and working on issues to strengthen the overall environment for journalism and also to protect journalists. Uh, right now, we're talking to a few folks in the House and the Senate about uh, some possible things that would help to give tax incentives for people to either uh, buy publications, news organizations, or to hire more reporters, copy editors, designers, and then hang on to them, not just hire them, but actually hang on to them. I don't know where any of that will go. I think uh, there are ways to, um, to do things legal, you know, through the law. Also, we have worked with Representative Swalwell, who comes from California, but this is a national bill called the Journalist Protection Act. And the goal there is to make it a felony to assault a journalist uh, in the uh, course of her coverage. And that goes into uh, a lot of the uh, Donald Trump and and anti-press approach, uh, fake news. And 
And just starting even back when he was only campaigning, as many know, he would he would turn the crowds against the press, and a lot of reporters have written about being feeling uh, uh, in danger. Some were actually assaulted and pushed around, as we know. Um, how much has that affected your membership? Because you obviously have people at all levels of news, uh, from national outlets to local. I, yeah, I think it's talked about all the time. I think that there is legitimate fear. And I think that um, there's there's an anger that uh, folks don't understand. They work really hard to be objective. Our folks, though, they uh, uh, we want them to be protected, to feel safe. And uh, you know, just there was a uh, reporter in Bulgaria killed, I think, over the weekend. We had the killings in Annapolis, and admittedly, uh, those those killings were related to a personal situation. But again, it came back to. Uh, how safe are journalists? And also, in that case, it was coverage uh, that 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 particular paper had given one individual, and he was the one that came back and and did this death, uh, you know, dastardly deed. And and uh, it's so sad. But you know, we're not going to take it. We're we're going to stand up. And I think that's the commitment of our our members is to push back. We're not going to be bullied. That's the that's the overall feeling. I think in some ways it's actually bolstered people and their commitment to journalism uh, journalism schools are still full which i uh, i think is really amazing uh that you know they, they, these people are idealistic and uh and the young journalists are amazing you know my, my saying i say it all the time is that the future of journalism is up to the journalists we had uh, olivia knox the white house correspondent association president on recently and he mentioned that he knew of three white house correspondents who had gotten private security detail. He didn't want to reveal who they were or the details, but he thought that was a very uh, telling moment. And I wonder if you had any other examples at local level well, or mid levels have... of, of the abuse or or fear factor or uh, bullying going yeah, on. Yeah, we don't talk about we don't talk about individual cases unless they've made the press. But I would tell you that our our folks and and journalists in general get threats, uh, especially through. Uh, through through the web and the internet, people think that's anonymous or something. Uh, these are crazy kind of threats. I, I wouldn't even repeat them, uh, you know. But we're talking about threats to their life. Uh, it's scary. I, I you know I don't know why it's come to this, but that's the reality right now. And you know we'll do everything we can to make sure people are safe. We work on safety as an issue. Uh, but the flip side of that is people want to do the coverage. They they want to be out there doing the work. I think it's admirable. And tell me more about the uh, news newspaper journalism protection act. What specifically would that do? Well, so it's it's a journalist protection act, and the goal is to make it a felony uh, if someone is assaulted in the course of doing. You know, if you know someone is a journalist and they are assaulted uh, during their work. So we com we're comparing it to, in fact, we're trying to uh, tag it on to the uh, clause uh, that is already in the law, protecting law enforcement. And some people don't feel that journalists should be singled out. Uh, others do. Our own members have some disagreements of opinion. So, you know, we we go out there and we make sure that we get support. And, I, and at, mostly our, our membership is supportive. Some you know, feel like it's drawing attention to journalists. So you're always going to have some disagreement, but we're going to do everything we can. And if that means uh, working with folks on the Hill, uh, we'll do it. And of course, we're talking to Bernie Lunzer, president of the News Guild division of CWA. Um, what's your quick background? I know you've been in the union a long time. 
give us your kind of uh, right. I, you grew up where and, and how did you worked, get to this point? I, you know, right out of college, I went to work at the Knight Ritter own uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press. That was one of the, you know, Bernie Ritter and uh, Bernie Ritter, uh, senior and junior, both really were, were there. Par Ritter, Tony Ritter for a while. And uh, I was in the shop uh, for 10 years. I, in fact, I started out in advertising and uh, I worked in circulation. I worked in marketing. And then the last few years, I worked in the newsroom, on the Metro desk and the feature desk. In in uh, St. Paul? In St. Paul. Yeah. And then I, I basically, I ran the local, I shouldn't say ran the local, I was elected, uh, chosen by the uh, representative body to uh, be the administrative officer of the local for roughly five years. After that, uh, I, I did an international election for what I thought was just going to be experience. I really expected to lose. I know it sounds crazy. And I I had to come home and apologize to my wife that I won, and that's how I ended up in Washington. To, uh, Washington. Um, and where'd you go to school? Yeah. Where'd you go to college? I went to what's now called the University of St. Thomas in my hometown. Uh, then it was the College of St. Thomas, and got a really excellent education. You know, people overlook regional schools and how good they can be. I was an English major, not not a journalism major, but I I loved my education. It's it's just it's it's still a very wonderful school, and and for that matter, even though I wasn't part of it. At that time, they had a wonderful J school. And so, when did you start in the uh, union leadership in St. Paul? What around what year do you think? I, I came in in '79, the summer of '79. Between uh, then, I student taught. Uh, then at the end, at the end of '79, thinking I was going to be a teacher, I came back in '80. I was on the bargaining committee within a year. And I did a lot of work on some other committees. Uh, I became the assistant to the unit chair uh, but in fact uh the unit chair i really was the de facto unit chair for for many years all really wonderful experience you know those were those were heady days I and mean, people loved being in uh at the paper and in the in the newsroom uh, the newsrooms were fun places to be and exciting uh they i think we in the time i was at the saint paul pioneer press we we won three pulitzers yeah, you, you know, and it's that's why it's it's, it's extra sad today to, to see what's happening to some newsrooms, um, and especially I, I should say that the destination papers, like my paper, was the kind of places that journalists always wanted to end up at. Those are really, for the most part, the papers that are most uh, challenged right now. But you know, the business model, I, I think people are starting to see uh, little cracks and understanding what can be done. I think I really do believe we're closer to a turn. It's probably not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution, but I think that um, if owners are willing to accept lower profits for a period of time and really, you know, invest, I think they're going to see a return on that investment. Unfortunately, I have to be honest. A few of our owners are hedge funds, and they basically they want to guarantee their folks 20% in the next quarter. As a result, they actually continue to cut and slash, and when they do that, they do real damage. We talked earlier about Denver, where you know, in just in a few years, they've knocked the newsroom down to one third its size. You know, other other folks that care about papers um, wanted to come in. Uh, you, you work for Media News. I mean, Dean Singleton talked to me, uh, and you know, I, I found out that people were calling to digital first to, to want to buy the Denver post and they were just being rebuffed, told to go away. And that's because, you know, the Denver post is still a cash cow for digital first and Alden capital, which owns it. 
they have a they really have a bad mode of owning these papers. Uh, we spend a lot of work, and we do spend a lot of work trying to promote new ownership, trying to uh, instill some shame, if you will, in, in the current owners. Um, they, they certainly don't like that. But you and I, having been involved or in and around journalism for so long, we know it's a social good. So the dilemma here, and it's part of why we're involved with things that uh, may create tax incentives, is you know, it's not a widget factory. You can't just keep cutting the workers. You'll destroy the product. You'll get a communities that are news deserts that don't have any coverage. And uh, that's, that's just tragic. Uh, this is, if you want democracy to work, you need the news. And, uh, but we can also say right now, there are people that probably don't want democracy to work. Uh, I didn't think I'd say that in the United States uh, in my lifetime, but there it is. And as you I'm mentioned, sorry, yeah, I used to, no, no problem. I did work for media news in New Jersey and also in California. And in the California uh, paper, I was a guild member, full disclosure. We're at a point where these hedge funds and these non-newspaper folk are are taking over a lot of places. That's sort of the next step, it would seem. For a while, most newspapers were family-owned, as we know. And then it became larger corporations taking them on. Uh, you mentioned Dean Singleton at Media News. Now Digital First was one of the biggest leveraged uh, owners um, and he cut a lot of papers, including the both papers I worked at for him. Now you have this other level of ownership, which is all money and, and numbers. And what what brought that about, do you think? It was just the next step? I'll tell you exactly what it, what it was. It's the, uh, <clears throat> they jumped on this, what I call the myth that journalism and that newspapers were dying. And uh, it's not that everyone wouldn't acknowledge that there, you know, there was a conversion going on from print to digital. I think in the future, you have there will always be a place for print, but I think that obviously we know that it will be the primary platform. And so they, they, they took that mentality that, oh, geez, print is dying, and they basically went in and slashed and burned the staff. And then when they show, when people would say, well, you know, why did you do that? They'd say, well, you know, you know how bad it is. But the truth is, we did a study on you know, comparing, um, for example, digital first and all the capital to other owners and found out that they're, you know, they were slashing by almost a, a full, another one third of the staff. Uh, so this was purely profit uh, and the level of profit. Uh, you know, they were profitable, but they weren't profitable enough. And they were using the idea people had in their head that, uh, you know, print was dead, that kind of thing, this big announcement, these things that we believe in our mind. And it gave them the perfect work to go in and, and, you know, rape, pillage, and plunder. Uh, shouldn't, shouldn't say rape in the current empire, but, but pillage and plunder. And, and, and you know, it, it's tragic because a lot of these really wonderful news organizations are and still are, like Denver, making the transition to digital. But we, uh, we need help from better owners, and that's what we're trying to do. Now, we've had some new owners, some big monies come in. Obviously, the new owner of the L.A. Times, who bought them out from Tribune, and uh, Jeff Bezos in uh, the Washington Post. Warren Buffett had bought up a few papers, and you mentioned that uh, you're getting into his paper in Omaha. Um, Omaha right. World yeah. World. yeah, a vote, a vote today on. on uh, oh, we'll, we'll hope the... that's uh, successful. We'll know by the time this is posted. Yeah. And uh, is that a, a, a new wave that might be helpful? The, the big money owners that that want to do good, or are these just blips? I think what happens. And, and the only uh, the one anecdote, obviously, we know that uh, Bezos has been successful with the Post, that the Post is doing better. 
I think you have to look at the national papers a, a little differently than at um, some of the regional papers. And so I don't know if they're a good indicator, but you know, the Post, uh, Washington Post, New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal are doing pretty good work and, and staying profitable. But we're starting to see in Minneapolis, uh, you know, the Star Tribune based in Minneapolis is a good example. Uh, the owner of the uh, basketball team and the hockey team also ended up with the Star Tribune. He doesn't run the Star Tribune like his other businesses. He has reinvested in it and allows it to uh, cover itself and, and make a smaller profit. And uh, I think that um, it, it's showing in the, in the work and in the results, and I think it's a very healthy paper. Meanwhile, across town, my hometown paper, St. Paul, has been just almost just leveled uh, at this point. It's it's a digital first Alden Capital paper, and there's almost uh, nobody left, and that, that breaks my heart. But that's the way it is. And what do you what do you look forward to positively that the Guild is doing with all these new areas, digital and, and online and other outlets? Is that helping yeah, to shore up think, membership? Or it is. I think that you know. The, here's the thing to remember: people as people organize, they're not they don't think pie in the sky what they really want is they want to have a say in their future they know it's a tough time but they want to expose the truth when uh, owners go too far or do things that are not acceptable and they want to fight for journalism and i think that that culture is just building and building i, I think you're going to just see a real pushback and almost uh, you call it a takeover of leadership uh, by uh, by the workers in in news because they they know that a lot of the owners are not showing leadership. Uh, it's it's very positive environment. I, I have a lot of hope, and I do think that uh, the turnaround is not that far off. Uh, obviously, there's restructuring taking place. I think you'll see some things uh, where Facebook and, and Google and uh, some of these folks that basically suck journalism dry, I think people will start going after them to for them to play a more positive role. Uh, and so I, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to sound too down. I, I, I have to be honest about the current situation. Uh, but then the flip side is people love to practice journalism. They're idealistic. They're not turning away. They're taking on the fight and they're very much needed right now. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm honored to be able to work, work with these, uh, journalists. One of the things that's been growing in recent years is nonprofit journalism, uh, ProPublica, Center for Investigative Reporting, the Marshall Project in New York. Are, are, do you think that's a wave that could could help boost news in the future, or is it too little and too small? No, it, it, I think it's already having an impact, and I, but I think it's got to be finessed. I'd like to see some of the barriers between the private and the nonprofit broken, broken down. We've done some work with employee stock ownership, but that's really difficult to pull it off. There's really not – the law is not very friendly – so if we can make changes, there are foundations that would love to, um, there are some foundations already that own papers. Um, I think of the uh, Mackie Loeb uh, Foundation in, in New Hampshire. And I think there would be others if we could, could change the laws and make things easier. So I think there's a possibility there. I don't think the future, though, is a few of these places right now are backed by philanthropists. And we know that at some point you've got to, Make your own money, carry your own weight. But I think it, I think nonprofit uh, journalism is going to continue to be very important. And of course, if you look at 
public radio and public television, uh, especially public radio, you'll see that they're doing a lot of work in a lot of communities. And I think that if we could actually create some structures where we have foundations that bring together colleges, public radio and television, along with uh, nonprofit news outlets, I think there's, there's a lot that can be done. And again, we're talking to Bernie Lunzer, president of the News Guild and the division of CWA. Um, what do you think is, and I'll, we'll let you go in a moment, but I appreciate your time. What do you think is the biggest misconception people might have of the Guild, if any, these days, the way things are changing? But you're obviously still still doing a lot of uh, great work for a lot of people. Right. Uh, the myth is two things, I guess I would say. One with the broader labor movement is the myth that uh, unions are hostile and they're going to create militancy and, and just want to kind of destroy the uh, operation. I've worked with uh, the Guild for, for several years, and I know that a union can bring a lot of positive aspects to a business and actually make the business stronger by giving uh, when the bosses have to listen and do listen. Uh, you end up with a much stronger operation. So that's myth number one. That's the problem. Unions have been really slammed in this country by a lot of propaganda because, you know, it's better. It's easier for business if they don't have to work with anybody, but it's, it hurts the businesses. The second myth, I think, that is that affects us as the News Guild is that our journalists are biased. And so you get from the left, you'll hear that we're the uh, mainstream media only reflecting corporate attitudes i guess and then of course you get this uh, the new stuff uh, you know the right wing has always called us left-leaning and now they say that our news is fake and it's propaganda so you get attacks from both sides our people uh are work very hard to be objective journalists and bring facts to the american people i i don't think there's respect shown for how hard our people work to do that and and that's what matters. I mean, you need trusted, credible information. I think our folks deliver it. And so we've got to find a way to get past the what's been created in in that myth uh, that somehow or other we're serving some other agenda. Um, because I just see hardworking people that really go out there and try to get the story. It, it's hurting news right now. It's hurting our our culture uh, when nobody is trusted. So I think I think we can fix that and change that. We're just in a, in a dark moment. And I would say this, too. Uh, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump has been good for business. So that's a weird thing to say, but it's true. And I, I think that's healthy that uh, pe- some people are looking to journalism to write the, the course, to write the ship. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot more coverage. I know the, uh, the New York Times, when he first came in, added a bunch of people, and I believe they just added another White House correspondent uh, within the last week or so. Despite what he thinks, they're, uh, they're, they are doing better. The circulation went up under, uh, under his presidency, and I would imagine that's true in a lot of places. What's the next move for the Guild now as you look, sort of look forward that people should know about and maybe even come in and, and help out or, or help uh, spread the word? Well, I think that, first of all, we're going to be very public about our efforts to shore up journalism both through uh, working on the business model and and making our journalists safe. We're going to work closely with the uh, broadcast arm of the CWA, which is NABET. We understand that there is no, there's one platform, you know, news just is news and it gets distributed. So we're going to look past all the different barriers and work with others that represent uh, news people. Uh, We think that 
we're at historic levels right now of organizing. We think it's going to continue. So we're going to build a critical mass, uh, and I think it's going to affect the quality of journalism into the middle of the 21st century. I think what's happening now really matters a lot. And so we're going to, we're going to stay aggressive, stay visible, and try to make a huge difference. And when you say historic levels, what do you mean? The membership or news levels? What, what's the historic? The interest in organizing uh, is unlike anything I've seen in my time in the Guild. I certainly heard the stories about the 30s. I, you know, in Canada, it was the, the 60s. But there are a lot of people that want to be represented. Uh, if they have the chance to join a union, uh, to join the Guild and, and be represented, they want to be represented, so we're going to fill that need. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's taking a lot of our time. I mean, this is what we do right now. And, and so you'll be seeing us expand as well. Our, our membership numbers are going up as a result of this. What do you so, think is driving that? Just people concerned about the anti-press fervor in White House or job security? What, what, what is bringing that resurgence? First of all, it is, you know, it's always the bread and butter issues. I mean, people mm-hmm. still want to have lives. And so the idea that young kids are going to come in and work for espresso uh, at the digital shops, it's just crazy. Sooner or later, they, um, they care about the bread and butter issues. But again, as I said earlier, I think the leadership has been transferred to the folks that are practicing journalism itself. And as a result, you know, people want to be involved. I, I, I just think it, it, they want to have a voice and they want to be listened to. It makes a big difference. Even if there's going to be tough times, they know that if it's chaotic, they want to really know what's going on. They want transparency and they want to have to say. So uh, I could see that growing and spreading. And I think the more we do that and the more we bring people together on that quest, it, it really just buttresses what journalism is all about. And I, I, I think we can get there. Excellent. Well, I thank you for your time. Uh, we've been talking to Bernie Lunzer, the president of the News Guild. Uh, division of the CWA about the future of the guild. It looks like things are uh, are getting better, and you're you're traveling the tough times, but with good, positive results. And hopefully, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And that's it for this week's edition of Joe's Media Corner. Make sure to tune in again next time. And thanks for listening. Uh-huh.